With Congress on recess, nothing horrible can happen on Capitol Hill. But the congressional pay raise will be on the debate roster for when members return. For more on this and what else to expect after the rest of July, the Fulcrum Editor-in-Chief David Hawkins. And David, this comes up from time to time, a congressional pay raise. And I guess it's not fair to reflexively say, well, those SLBs don't deserve a dollar more. There's a little bit more nuanced debate to it and some more possibility. Tell us what's going on there. I think that's that's right. For a couple of hundred years, the congressional pay raise was really a huge sort of political time bomb because members of Congress would deny themselves a raise for a long period of time and then give themselves a huge raise. Uh, and about 25 years ago, they decided to try something different, which was members of Congress would get a, a CPI increase, a, a cost of living, a COLA, set to the federal inflation rate, pretty much the same rate of increase as federal employees unless they affirmatively voted to deny themselves the money. Uh, And that worked pretty well until the financial crisis of 2008, which is about when the congressional approval rating started going through the floor. Uh, And each year for the last 10 years, members of Congress have, in fact, denied themselves a raise. So their pay has been frozen for 10 years. It's $174,000. That's a lot of money by uh, almost every every standard, it's, uh, but it, they have not been keeping up with inflation. If, if they'd taken all those raises in the last 10 years, their pay would be a little bit above 200 now. So this year, uh, there has been some talk of a uh, sort of a political non-aggression pact in which the Republicans and the Democratic leaders would get together uh, and not make this a campaign issue, allow this pay raise to happen. Steny Hoyer, uh, the Democratic majority leader from suburban Maryland, the lead, the lead on trying to get this done, uh, and as soon as it came became public, uh, so several members of his own uh, Democratic caucus, Democrats in tough races for re-election, said, boy, this isn't going to work. They'll never keep up with this non-aggression pact. Please don't do it to us, uh, and <laughs> don't make us take the money. And several Republicans, many Republicans, said the same. So therefore... So, so therefore... Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So what's the, the final chapter is when Congress comes back after July 4th, uh, they will, as, as I say, it's automatic unless they vote to deny themselves the money. So there'll have to be some sort of vote, um, whether to deny themselves the money uh, or, or not. Really, the vote will be a yes vote will be no pay raise. Um, and, or, and the absence of a vote, in theory, would mean a pay raise. So we will see this uh, sooner or later. It'll have to happen if, by the end of by the end of the year. And this would be both the House and Senate. That's exactly right. This, generally, the Senate the Senate stays out of this fight. Uh, the Senate gets paid the same as, as the House. Senators get paid. It's one hundred seventy four thousand. Uh, the the leadership, the, the top five leaders in Congress, get paid a little bit more. But this is almost always a fight that House members have because, to be honest, senators who are up for six years terms, um, sixty seven of them don't have to face the voters after every pay raise, whereas in the House, every member of the House has to face the voters after every pay raise. And as a practical reality, I mean, do they ever make the economic reason that the people in serving in Congress deserve a raise? I mean, many of them are wealthy when they get to Congress. Many of them are wealthy. Uh, many of them are not, however. You know, I mean, there's and, – and interestingly, one of the most prominent uh, promoters of the pay raise – uh, a little bit counterintuitively, is uh, the the progressive uh, firebrand from New York, the, the fresh freshman new member, House member Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She says members need to get – she makes one argument, which – two arguments, which uh, get made often, which is members of Congress have to live in two places at once. They have to live in their own uh, districts, and they also have to find a place to live in D.C., and that can, that is expensive. 
uh, and she makes the other argument that people like her uh, shouldn't. It should not be being in Congress. Should not be the province of lawyers and investment bankers and big and car dealers and uh, other people who have a lot of money. That people like her and with of modest means should be able to afford to come to come to Congress. Another re, another argument uh, is that um, members of Congress will never pay their staff um, more than they get, uh, and by raising their own pay, they're essentially raising the ceiling on staffer pay. Um, if they provide the money for it, um, an argument about why Congress is in such lousy shape these days is that there's huge staff turnover. Remember, uh, senior staffers with expertise aren't sticking around very long. Uh, why are they not? Because K Street and trade associations are surely are, are very happy to pay them a lot more than $174,000 for their expertise. We're speaking with the Fulcrum Editor-in-Chief, David Hawkins, and you started to answer my next question. Is there a bill or is there funding now pending that they would vote on in this coming session for staff raises also? A, t- a, tiny, a tiny bit. They, they do – that is not automatic. In Congress, uh, there is you – know, we talk often about the 12 appropriations bills that, that fund all the discretionary spending of the government. One of those is for the legislative branch. Um, and yes, Congress has to decide each year whether to increase the amount of money that's set aside for staff salaries, not just for the members' own, uh, what they call their district office staffs or their own member office staffs, but the committees and the leadership staff. And yes, they are providing a very small increase after a, several, several years of steady declines or freezes, um, which have really taken a toll on the sort of the, the purchasing power that a member has to buy to buy staff um, or to, to hire staff, um, they have started very slowly to reverse that. But a lot of pro- congressional experts say it's not nearly enough that Congress's brain the brain drain has been debilitating, and that they need to spend significantly more to hire smart people if they are going to develop serious policies and stand up to the executive branch uh, in a sort of a balanced powers fight in which. Uh, year after year, the president seems to be getting more, more power, and and you know, legislate. This is we're talking about legislative expertise and oversight expertise, uh, and the ability to help members write policy. All of that has has suffered in the last ten years because of the uh, the short the short spending on staff. I guess it's a case of them knowing what might be right in a reasonable world, but in the crazy politics of today, I guess they worry about how it would look to the public if they're giving big pay raises to staff, the average American lumps in with the federal executive branch that are all just bureaucrats in Washington and and themselves as as members who, to give them the benefit of the doubt, do try to serve the public as elected officials. Right. I think I think that's exactly right, that there is, as as you, we, we know, um, many members, most members are safe for re-election. Their biggest problem is in their own primaries in their own party primaries because so many of their districts are, are politically safe for either Republicans or Democrats. But it is an, it's a pretty easy shot in, in these competitive seats to say that, you know, mem- member, the member down in Washington chose to feather his own nest without taking care of the public's interest. You know, and is that a fair shot? I don't I personally think it's a, arguably whether, arguable whether that's a fair shot. I certainly don't think it's, you know, we're talking about a 3% increase uh, less than three percent increase, uh, and the, for the first raise in ten years, I'm not sure this is, it counts as feathering your own nest. And you know, should should a member of Congress be paid 
um, as much or more as the the average dentist. Actually, 174,000 turns out is what the Labor Department says is the the median income of, of a typical American dentist. I'm not sure that being in charge of uh, one third of the of the government. Um, shouldn't entitle you to make as much as a dentist. And besides, to be a dentist, you have to go to school for 10 years just to be able to pull a tooth. Exactly right. (laughs) David Hawkins is editor-in-chief of The Fulcrum. As always, thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to The Federal Drive, hear it on demand at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online.